0: This morning we find ourselves at the end of the 8th chapter of Mark, where Jesus shares his life mission with his disciples, and where he also shares what he expects from those who choose to follow him. We're going to focus today, Mark 8, 31 to 9, 1. I'm going to read that passage for you. It says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men." And then he called the crowd to himself along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for a soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before you see, before they see, the kingdom of God come with power. Let's pray. Dear dear Father, I thank you so very much for your Word, and I thank you so very much for your Son. And God, I pray that He will be uplifted in these moments, and more importantly, that He will be uplifted in our lives. And so help us to be open to the truths that you have for us in this Scripture. Open our ears and and, and our minds uh, to your Word. God, help me as I present it. Help us as we receive it. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. There are two questions that Jesus wants to answer in today's Scripture. What did it mean for him to be the Christ, the promised Messiah? And what does it mean to be a Christian? Remember what happened at the end of last week's study in Mark 8, 29. This is Jesus asking a question. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, You are the Christ. Peter spoke for the rest of the disciples, declaring Jesus to be the Christ, declaring Him to be the promised Jewish Messiah. Of course, as I mentioned last week, the Jewish people in that day had a misunderstanding about their Messiah. They thought that he would be a political leader and his mission would be to come and deliver them from Roman rule. Peter and the other disciples probably had that mistaken view of the Messiah. And so Jesus wants to correct this misunderstanding for them and I think at the same time for us. He also wants to correct any misunderstanding about what it means to be a Christian We may mistakenly think that if you go to church, well, then you're a Christian. If you're a member of a church, well, you're you're a Christian. If you've been baptized, well, certainly you're a Christian. And so Jesus wants to correct any misunderstandings that we or they might have about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus begins with the Jews' misunderstanding about him as the Messiah. And he does this by sharing his life mission, which is to follow God's will and give up his life. Right after Peter proclaimed Jesus to be the Christ, Jesus began to teach his disciples what would happen to him as the Messiah. And it would not be all that they expected. Let's begin. Mark 8, verses 31 and 32. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. In these verses, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. It was his favorite name to describe himself it is also a title used in the Old Testament to describe the Messiah. And he tells his disciples plainly that he must suffer many terrible things, that he must be rejected by the Jewish leaders, and he must be killed. But three days later, he would rise from the dead. That was all a part of God's plan for Jesus. All a part of God's will For his promised Messiah. I want you to hear what Jesus said in John 3 verses 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. When the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. God punished them once for their rebellious attitudes by sending poisonous snakes among them. But those who looked up to the bronze snake that that Moses lifted up, those folks were healed. In the same way, the Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up, must be lifted up on the cross. And those who look up to Him and believe in Him, that they might spiritually be healed and have eternal life. See, people, there is no other way for you and me to be forgiven except through Jesus' suffering and death. Of course, Peter didn't like the sound of that. Notice what happens next, verse number 32. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Matthew six twenty-two tells us what Peter said. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. In Peter's mind, there was no way that God would want his Messiah to suffer and die. The Messiah is supposed to give the Jews victory over Rome. And so Peter rebukes Jesus for even suggesting that such terrible things would happen to him. It was like Peter knew more than the one who was the Messiah. He, he arrogantly knew more than the one who had come to suffer and die on the cross. In turn, Jesus rebukes Peter. Matthew 8.33, or Mark 8.33. But, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus gave Peter a strong rebuke. Jesus saw him as working on behalf of Satan. Peter's words opposed God's will and God's plan. Peter was trying to turn Jesus away from his life mission. Just as the devil had tried to do in the wilderness temptation. Peter, don't you have you don't have in mind the things of God but the things of men. You are seeing things merely from a human perspective and you're not seeing it from God's perspective. Now that's the exactly the opposite of how Jesus was responding to Satan's temptation. See, he is putting the things of God before the things of men. Jesus is being guided by what the Father wants him to do in his life. And not by what people like Peter may may want for his life. He wanted to accomplish God's will and not his own. Remember what he prayed in the garden right before the night before his death. Mark 14, 36, Abba, Father. And Abba's kind of the word for daddy. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Don't think that it didn't trouble Christ when he told his disciples about his future suffering and death. It troubled him then. And it especially troubled him that final night and yet he always chose to place God's will above his own will and above anyone else's will. You know, it would be wise for us to do the same, to respond to Satan's temptation by putting the things of God before the things of men, seeing things from God's perspective and not merely from a human point of view. See, we also have a life mission, just as Jesus had a life mission And we wouldn't want our lives to get off course, to get off mission. Jesus has answered the first question what does it mean for him to be the Christ, the promised Messiah? It means that he has a life mission, and that life mission is to follow God's will and to give up his life. That brings us to the second question, and that is what does it mean to be a Christian? Jesus answers that question by giving us, each of us, as followers of Jesus, a life mission. And your life mission is to follow Jesus and give up your life. As Jesus shocked the disciples when he told them that he would have to give up his life, he further shocks his disciples and the crowd when he told them that they would have to give up their lives. If they followed him. Just listen to Mark 8 verse number 34. When he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And said. If anyone would come after me. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I mean that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. You must deny yourself and take up your cross. And follow Jesus. First, you and I must deny ourselves. Our lives are no longer about what we want. They they become about what Jesus wants. We may have lived in the past as Lord over our own lives, but when we follow Jesus, He becomes Lord of our lives. He becomes our master, and we become His servants. I like something that Warren Worsby says in his commentary on Mark. He says, denying self is not the same as self-denial. We practice self-denial for a good purpose. When for a good purpose, we occasionally give up things or activities. But we deny self when we surrender ourselves to Christ and determine to obey His will. See, that's what Jesus did for us. He surrendered His life for us and determined to obey His Father's will. And here Jesus is calling us to do the same. To surrender ourselves to Him and determine to obey His will. I mean, that's what Jesus expects from those who choose to follow Him. He expects us to deny ourselves. Second, you and I must take up our cross... When a person took up a cross back in Jesus' day, that meant one thing. That person was going to die. The Romans required convicted criminals to carry their own cross to the place of execution. Remember, that's what Jesus did. He carried his own cross until he couldn't carry it any longer, and then Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry it the rest of the way up Golgotha's hill. Sometimes we talk about life difficulties and life irritations as crosses that we bear. We, We have a troubling illness. We have a bothersome neighbor. We have a perplexing problem. We have an annoying relative, and we think of those things as crosses that we bear. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Carrying our cross means suffering for Him. Carrying our cross means dying to self and living for Him. Carrying our cross means sacrificing ourselves for Him. I mean, that's what Jesus expects from Christians. He expects us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and third, you and I must follow Him. We must follow His example and His teachings. On the night before Jesus' death, He taught His disciples a lesson on humility. That they had gathered in a room to share the Passover meal together. But but there was no servant there to clean everyone's feet before they ate. And so surprisingly, Jesus gets up, goes around the room, and cleans everyone's feet. I mean, here he is, the Son of God, and he is being the humble servant. And listen to what Jesus said to his disciples after that. In John 13, 15, he says, I set you an example that you should do as I have done. The Apostle Peter wrote something very similar in 1 Peter 2.21. He says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. What does it mean then to be a Christian? It means that you have a life mission. And your life mission is to follow Jesus and to give up your life. Or in Jesus' words... You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Now, if Satan tempted Jesus to get him off mission, I mean, he is certainly going to tempt us to get us off mission. The truth is, we like to be king of our lives. We like doing things our own way. We like pleasing ourselves. We like being in the driver's seat. I know I do but denying ourselves and surrendering our lives to Jesus, carrying our cross and surrendering ourselves to Him, following Jesus, His teachings and His examples. You know, none of that sounds very fun. But that is the very life that Jesus has called us to live as His disciples. And we need to be ready to respond when Satan tempts us away from living that life. When he tempts us away from following Jesus and giving up our lives for him. In the remaining verses of this morning's scripture, Jesus suggests three ways for responding to Satan's temptations. We're going to look at these quickly. The first is putting your unselfish life before your selfish life. Mark 8.35, Jesus said, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. I mean, every one of us hunger for the good life. But the question is, do you find the good life in selfish living or unselfish living? I mean, the world says that the good life is found in selfish living. It's it's found in having more control and making more money and having more things and enjoying more pleasure. If you selfishly have all of that, then you're really living. But Jesus says real living is found in unselfish living. It is found in giving up your life for him and for others. It is found in giving up your life for the sake of the gospel. And Jesus calls this abundant living. In John 10.10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what God wants for us, abundant life. I like the way the New Living Translation puts that same verse. Jesus says, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Real living, then, according to Jesus, is found in unselfish living. And so, Satan, why should I pursue selfish living? Why, why should I follow your path? Why, why should I go after the good life when people I already have the abundant life in Jesus? A second response to Jesus' or Satan's temptations is putting your eternal soul before your earthly life. Mark 8, 36 and 37 What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? These are rhetorical questions. And while there is no answer provided for these questions, the answers are obvious. I mean, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your eternal soul? I mean, the answer is nothing at all. And again, is anything... Worth more than your eternal soul. Again, the answer is no. Nothing in this earthly life is as valuable as your eternal soul. I always remember a powerful quote from Jim Elliot, a Christian missionary who was killed in Ecuador some years ago. He once wrote this. He said, "He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose." Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Satan, we need to say to Satan, my life focus is on my eternal soul. It is more important than anything in my, etern- anything in my earthly life. Plus this life ends. And my eternal life lasts Forever. A third response to Satan's temptation is putting your loyalty to Jesus before your loyalty to anything else or anyone else. In Mark eight thirty eight in and verse nine or chapter nine, verse one, Jesus says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in His Father glory with the holy angels. And He said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. These two verses describe two events. One event has already happened and the other event is yet to happen. The first verse talks about an event that is yet to happen. It is the second coming of Christ when He will return to the earth in His Father's glory with all of His angels. And on that day, we will give an account for what we have done with Jesus. Whether we have been loyal to Him and stood with Him or we have rejected Him and been ashamed of Him. When it comes to Jesus' return, we ought to want to be on the Lord's side. We ought ought to want to be on Jesus' side and not on the world's side. The second verse talks about an event that has already happened. It was a day that's talked about in the book of Acts, when the kingdom of God came with power. It was the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles' And that day, Peter proclaimed the message of Christ, and the crowd was moved and asked what they needed to do. And Peter spoke up and said, in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter was encouraging the crowd to be loyal to Jesus, above anyone else and above anything else. And that is our encouragement as a congregation to be loyal to Jesus above all. Satan, I cannot be loyal to you. I cannot be loyal to others because I am loyal to Jesus. Plus I have a life mission. To follow Jesus and give up my life. And I'm not going to let you get me off course. Off mission. That that brings us to our practical application. What what are we going to do as a result uh, of this morning's message? There, There are three action steps I'd like to share. Number one, know that Jesus is the Christ and his life mission was to follow God's will and to give up his life for you. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for you and he died for me, each of us individually. And I want you to know that. That was his mission. That was his main life mission. His ultimate mission was to give his life for our sins on the cross. Number two, realize if you are a Christian that you have a life mission. A life mission of following Jesus and giving up your life for him. I mean, that's what Jesus calls us to. That's, that's how he defines a Christian here. Not church membership, not baptism, not baptism. Our life mission is about following Jesus and giving up our lives for Him. It's being a disciple. And then number three, be prepared for Satan and his temptations to get you off course and off mission. Just be aware, if he tempted Jesus, the devil's going to tempt us. And sometimes, let's face it, He succeeds. And sometimes as Christians, we choose to follow our own way instead of His way. We we follow the world's way instead of His way. And there are some that I'm talking to today that have never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. They've never made that commitment to Him. And so we want to encourage you this morning uh, to to, to decide what you... Believe about Jesus. Because when he returns, all that will matter is what you've done with Jesus. That's all that will matter. What you've done with Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so very much for this chance to share. And God, we thank you so much for your son and for his example. And God, I pray that you'll help us to follow his example. God, you have provided us your Holy Spirit to live in us that we might live as Jesus lived and as Jesus taught. And so God, I pray that you'll help us as Christians do that. And God, I, I pray for those again who have not accepted you yet as Lord and Savior. God, that they again might be moved to that decision that they won't give in to Satan his temptations to put off any decision are to reject Him. Work now in our lives. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you for listening this morning. We pray that if there's some way that we can minister to you, that you'll you'll give us a call. Give us a call on our church phone. It's at 217-379-4443. Or again, you can call us, or you can contact us through our website, paxtonchurchofchrist.org. We'll minister to you in any way that we can. We, We, again, wish God's best upon you, His blessing upon you in the week ahead. And look forward, again, to sharing with you, again, next Sunday.